I am really excited about this Bible study tonight. I don't think we're going to get through the whole entire Bible study. Um, now, when I'm putting together any sermon, I, I am in the habit of over-preparing, and then Sunday morning and Sunday night, I cut out a lot of what I, would, uh, what I have prepared in order to get it within a reasonable time frame. On Wednesdays, I do much less paring back, uh, because I just figure, uh, what, why would we be in a hurry? And if we can know more about the Word of God, and it takes us a couple more weeks to get through it, well, then that's, that, that's okay. That's what we'll do. So I've got a lot here to go over. And point one on your outline tonight is uh, very much uh, to set the stage, very much meant to set the stage so that um, we can better understand uh, the passage. And so I've got some introductory thoughts then we're going to look at point one, and I've got an A, B, C, D, and E under each of those, and then uh, we'll get into, we'll probably be, begin point two tonight. We'll see how far we get. Let's look at Isaiah 34, and let's look at the first five verses, and let's stand together if we're able to do so. Now, before we read, um, let me just tell you, this is a passage that's talking about the battle of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation, okay? The battle of Armageddon. And this is the first time that I have seen that it has been prophesied in the book of Isaiah in such great detail. I almost did this Bible study three weeks ago. Instead, we did, or two weeks ago, instead we did a spirit of meekness. And the reason was I wanted to make sure I was very prepared for this. And so um, this has been, I've been working on this a good long time. I'm really excited about this. Let's look at the first five verses. It says, Come near, ye nations, to hear and hearken, ye people. Let the earth hear in all that is there in the world, and all things that come forth of it. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations, and his fury upon all their armies. He hath utterly destroyed them, he hath delivered them to the slaughter. Their slain also shall be cast out, and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood, and the, and the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and their hosts shall fall down, uh, as the leaf falleth off from the vine, and as a falling fig from the fig tree. If you know your Bible very much, you know that the fig tree is used to describe the nation of Israel. Look at verse 5, For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. We may not get to that till next week. But the significance of that, sword bathed in heaven, behold, it shall come down upon Edomia and upon the people of my curse to judgment. The title of the Bible study is this, The Sinful World Will Be Judged. The sinful world will be judged. We look at our world and we see sin thriving in every corner, and sin is popular and seems to go unpunished. There is a battle going on between good and evil, and sometimes it seems like good is losing. But my friend, in the end, good will win. It will prevail. Uh, the Lord will prevail. And uh, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll dive in here tonight. God, thank you for your word. Help us to uh, comprehend it and understand it. Uh, give us a gracious spirit, one with the other. Lord, as I teach and, uh, and uh, preach even a little tonight, I pray, God, that you would make clear to us uh, these truths in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. 
It is important for us to understand that we live in a world where good and evil are at war with each other. Very important. I think sometimes we get busy in our day-to-day and uh, we don't really pay attention to this idea of good and evil until something like Uvalde happens uh, or a school shooting like what happened at Parkland in Florida or back to the original big uh, school shooting with Columbine in the 90s. And when something like that happens, a September 11th type event happens, evil it just stares us right in the eye. I remember when the young man went into the movie theater in Colorado and shot up that theater. I remember seeing a picture of him on the news and just feeling like I was looking at a man who is demon-possessed, a man who is possessed by evil. You know what I'm talking about tonight? And, and listen, those are instances where maybe evil is, uh, the mask comes off and we see evil at its worst. But please understand that the battle of good and evil is going on around us every single day. Uh, not only around us, but oftentimes even within us. Uh, the battle to do right or wrong. And evil is everywhere. Now, evil is allowed to exist today, but, but will one day be punished and will be punished by an angry God. Uh, make no mistake about it, God isn't asleep at the wheel. God isn't unaware of the evil. God full well knows of all the evil that goes on in the world today. And He does have a plan to punish it. God does not turn a blind eye to the deeds of sinful man. Um, Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 26, he said, The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. Uh, You ever tried to play a game when you were a kid where you tried to guess what someone else was thinking? You ever try to do that? I know what you're thinking, and uh, think a random thought. I'm going to figure out what you're thinking. That's a silly game. You can't figure out what somebody's thinking. God knows our thoughts. And the truth is, is that uh, someone could sit here in the middle of a church service on a Wednesday night at a Baptist church, and while I'm preaching, your mind could wander on to things that are evil. They could wander on to things that are sinful. I've had it happen before where I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I have a thought of envy or a thought of jealousy or a thought of lust that comes into my mind. And boy, I would never want anyone around me to know that I thought that. And I'm even in a church setting. How dare I think something like that? The Bible says God knows those thoughts. He knows even the thoughts that we think. God not only sees the evil actions that take place, God also sees the evil thoughts that are thunk. And the Bible says, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 15 that even those thoughts are an abomination to the Lord. Judgment day is coming. Take your Bibles over to 2 Peter chapter 3. Hold your place in um, uh, Isaiah. Judgment day is coming just as certain as any other date on the calendar. Judgment day is coming. 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3 verse 8. Judgment day is coming. Um, I look forward to certain holidays, right? My favorite, favorite, favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. Some of you thought I was going to say Christmas. Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. I love Christmas uh, in the sense of the classical sense, the idea that Jesus came and, and was born amongst us. And I don't love all the commercialization of Christmas, but I do love the thought that Jesus 
came and was born amongst us. But from a, just as a U.S. boy, U.S. of A. boy, I enjoy Thanksgiving because I feel like it's the least commercialized holiday. And uh, there's still that significance of just being thankful for all of the good that God has given us. And I have that marked on my calendar, and I look forward to that every year. I mean, I really look forward to it. You say, you're just looking forward to the pumpkin pie. That does not hurt, amen? But I'm looking forward to the day to be grateful and a country to celebrate uh, gratitude. And you know what? That is a date on our calendar. God has a calendar in heaven. And on his calendar, I, no man, the Bible, Jesus told us in Matthew 24, no man knoweth the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven. There is a judgment day coming. It is marked on God's calendar, and it is just as real as Thanksgiving is this November. It is just as real as Christmas is this December. It's just as real as Easter is next spring. Uh, it's just as real. Second Peter chapter 3, look at verse 8. The Bible says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Lots of people have said, Well, you know, it sure has taken Jesus a long time to come back, right? He ascended up into the clouds there uh, some 2,000 years ago. What are we, 2022? And so assuming he ascended in 8033, it's been almost 2,000 years since he ascended into the heavens. And people start to say, well, I think maybe he forgot about us. Understand that God is ageless. He is timeless. Can you just stop for a moment and let that break your faculties? Because you can't comprehend it, right? Here we are restricted by time. God exists outside the realm of time. You say, well, how old is God? Um, There is no answer to that question because God is not marked by time. You with me tonight? He's ageless. And so for God, a thousand years is as a day. A day is as a thousand years. And God's calendar, Jesus only ascended up two days ago, right? It hasn't been all that long since Jesus ascended back up into the skies upon his resurrection there and gave that great commission. And so the day is coming all throughout the Old Testament. That day, the day of judgment, that day we read about is labeled as the day of the Lord. Anytime you're reading through the prophets, minor prophets, major prophets, and you read the day of the Lord, you're reading about the time marked by the rapture of the church up through uh, the new heaven and new earth being established, that thousand and seven year period, that is the era or the day of the Lord. And for that day, the redeemed, that is going to be a good day. We look forward to Jesus coming back because we believe in Him and we're on His team. We don't always get it right. Sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we say words we shouldn't say and think thoughts we shouldn't think and act in ways what Christians shouldn't act. But all in all, we believe in Jesus. We're on Team Jesus. And when He comes back, that is going to be a happy day. But for the lost, it's not a good day. It's not going to be a good day. Those without Christ, this will be a day where the passionate God pours out His wrath upon those who are unbelieving. I told a young man in my office uh, some years ago, I said, this is not an exaggerated story, this is exactly how it went down. The young man, his name is Zach Dillon, uh, Tom's son. And Zach, you go ask him, he'll tell you the exact same story had Zach in my office on a Sunday night after church, and he was questioning the existence of God. This is the night he got saved. And I I, I answered all his questions, and I went through the gospel, and he was a little resistant to it. 
And I said to Zach, I said, we had overcast skies. I said, Zach, God is a passionate being. I said, when you die one day, you want to make sure you're under his passionate love, not his passionate wrath. Because if you die under his passionate wrath, you're going to experience that for all of eternity. When I said the word eternity, within seconds, lightning struck that field right next door, right out here. And thunder shook the building. And his eyes got about that big. And I said, the wrath of God. And so we talked for a few more minutes. We got up and walked outside. And the storm cleared. And there was a double rainbow right out here in the sky. And I have a picture of me praying with Zach. Zach got saved under this double rainbow. The love of God here. The wrath of God there. For the day of the Lord, it's going to be the love of God for those who are with Christ. But for those that are without Christ, the day of the Lord is going to be the passionate wrath of God. It's going to be a scary moment. It's going to be a moment of, of great uh, trepidation. And it's going to be a, a, a day of, of great punishment and great suffering. You see, you may be on Team Jesus tonight, but we all know and love people who are not. We all know and love people who are without Christ. I think about Noah and the ark. I'm doing my, my, my weekly podcast that I put out each week with my pastor friend, Pastor King. Uh, we're talking about cocooned in Christ right now. We just recorded episode two coming out next Monday. Shameless plug, Monday Medicine. Subscribe, amen? We want you to listen and watch. If it's, on, it's on Facebook. It's on all of the uh, podcast platforms. We want you to listen to it. But what, what are we talking about? We're talking about Noah, how Noah was in the ark. And you know what? It must have been scary to be in that ark. But it was a lot scarier to be outside the ark. Right? And we all, if you believed in Christ, you are in Christ. You are in the ark, if you will, of salvation. We all know people who are not in the ark. We all know people who are not in Christ. We all know people that if Jesus were to come back today, they would be on the outside looking in. That's a scary thing. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and look with me at verse 11. This is really, outside of Isaiah 34, we're going to look at this verse three different times uh, in this Bible study. This is the theme verse of the passage outside of Isaiah 34. Second Corinthians 5, look at verse 11. Paul full well knew the terror of the Lord. Paul full well knew the horrors of the wrath of God. Paul full well knew that judgment day on the lost was coming. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11. Let's read it together. Can we do that? Everybody there? Here we go. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. He said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We persuade men. We know there's a day coming where the judgment of God is going to fall on humanity and we know that is going to be a moment of great terror and because of that we need to be busy persuading men with the gospel. Uh, Jesus said it this way in John 3 verse 18. He said, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is 
condemned or damned or judged already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There in John 3, Jesus makes it very clear that the key to eternal life is believing in Jesus Christ alone. And if you have not done that, you are under the condemnation, you are under the wrath, you are under the anger of a holy God, and you need to get that right. You need to believe. Now, I'm not preaching tonight to people who don't believe. We might have an unbeliever watching online, but everyone here in the room, I believe to be a a, a child of God. I've spoken with each of you in here individually, and I believe each of you have put your faith and trust in Christ. You are on Team Jesus. You've got nothing personally to worry about. But if you're like me, I know people who are not on Team Jesus. I know people who would land under the passionate wrath of God. And I, you and I need to get busy inviting them into the kingdom of heaven, inviting them to believe in Jesus. I want to make this statement right here. All right, I know I'm somewhat preaching to the choir. This is the faithful crowd on Wednesday night. You're here not because you love the church or because you love me. You're here tonight because you love Jesus. All right? So I, I'm speaking to the choir tonight. I'm, I'm singing to the choir, rather, speaking to the choir. I don't, that's a mixed, mixed metaphor. I'm singing to the choir. There we go. So here's a statement. Soul winning, the winning of souls, the convincing people to put their faith, the persuading of men. Soul winning is not just something that weird Baptist preachers harp on. It is of great necessity that we all share the risen Christ with anyone and everyone who will listen. Because if our loved ones die without Christ, they will experience the condemnation and wrath of God. You understand that tonight? Judgment day is real. God will rain down fire and brimstone for all of eternity on those who do not believe. Just as Thanksgiving is on the calendar, and Christmas is on the calendar, and Easter is on the calendar, and pick your favorite holiday is on the calendar, Judgment Day is on God's calendar. We're counting down the days. It is coming, and when that day comes, those who die without Christ are going to suffer, and suffer greatly under the passionate wrath of an angry God who have rejected His Son. We're going verse by verse through Isaiah 34, but before we do that, Let's get our prophetic bearings about us. So let's take a look at the prophetic calendar according to Scripture and my understanding of it. Now, let me just say this before I get into point one. You attend an independent Baptist church that has a doctrinal statement that is pre-tribulational and premillennial. If you don't believe that here... You're at White Oak Baptist Church, and that's what we believe. That's what we're going to teach. And so if you don't like it, just smile real big and endure the point, and you'll be all right, okay? Let's jump in tonight. Number one, a timeline of biblical prophecy. A timeline of biblical prophecy. Point one is going to be topical to set up point number two. Let's look at a a timeline of biblical prophecy. This is going to have us traveling through Revelation uh, 1 Thessalonians, Matthew, we're going to be in several books of the Bible here as we lay this out. By the way, you cannot properly understand the timeline unless you have adequately studied major prophets, minor prophets, uh, the teachings of Jesus, and the book of Revelation all together. If you've not taken the time to do that, then you probably should not have an opinion on end-time events. 
Let me say that again. If you've not taken the time to thoroughly stutter, study major minor prophets, the teaching of Jesus, and the book of Revelation, then maybe hold your opinion. Don't parrot what someone else tells you. Do your own homework. Do your own research. Let's lay it out here. Letter A, the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. Now, full disclosure, you'll never find the word rapture anywhere in the Bible. Instead, that word rapture means catching away, and you do find the idea of a catching away. Turn over with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. And while you're turning there, uh, a background here, the church of Thessalonica was planted by Paul uh, on his missionary journey, and he was kicked out of town Quickly, There was a rent-a-mob scenario that ran him out of Thessalonica. Jason was one of the men there in the town, and uh, he was held because uh, he, was, uh, he, he helped harbor Paul, and Paul escaped, and they drug him in front. They're trying to threaten the church, and many Bible theologians believe that uh, the church of Thessalonica suffered great persecution in its early days, and many of the Christian believers were killed uh, by the uh, Pharisaical sect. And um, they were disheartened and saddened over these deaths within their church. And so Paul writes back to this church that he has helped start. And he's trying to encourage them in the death of those who they love. Look at verse 13. And here Paul explains what we believe to be the rapture. He says, verse 13, we're going to read down to the end of the chapter. He says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus Christ, God uh, will God bring with him. Look at verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up, there's the catching away, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so uh, shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul here tells the church of Thessalonica, Do not grieve over your loved ones who are buried, because one day they're going to uh, be caught away. Their bodies are going to be snatched up out of the ground, and right behind them, we're going to take off. Someone said, why do the dead get to rise before we get to rise? Because we have a six-foot head start. Amen? They're six foot down, and uh, they're going to they're gonna get a, we got a, we got a six-foot head start, and that makes it fair. We all arrive at the same time. Um, so that is the catching away of the church. Now, why is it that I believe uh, that the rapture is the next event on the timeline? We'll turn over to Revelation chapter number four. You just read about the trump of God sounding, the 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 shout uh, of the archangel, the trump of God. Turn over to Revelation four. With that in mind, I believe Revelation four to be the completion of Paul's prophecy of the rapture of the church. Now, before I read Revelation four. Let me make a couple of qualifying statements. Qualifying statement number one, I believe wholeheartedly that the book of Revelation is written in, uh, in, in order as a timeline. I do not believe this just to be a, a spattering of events that are just uh, like a casserole thrown out here. I believe Revelation to be a timeline of events. Qualifier number two, God wrote the book of Revelation to the church 
to give them hope not to quit and to continue to look forward to the coming of Christ and to give us some detail about what that will look like. Okay, qualification number three. Revelation 2 and 3. How many of you have a Bible uh, that the words of Jesus are in red? Would you hold your hand up? The words of Jesus are in red. You'll notice, if that's the case, that Revelation 2 and 3 are in red. This is Jesus speaking directly to the church. You'll also notice there is no mention of the church anywhere after the conclusion of chapter number 3. Anywhere else in the book of Revelation. What happens to the church? Look at chapter 4. We just read out of 1 Thessalonians how that uh, the Bible says that, uh, uh, that there's going to be a catching away or a rapture of the church. There's going to be a sounding of a trumpet. There's going to be a shout. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. All right? uh, the church is done being addressed in chapter 3. Chapter 4, verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first, verse which, uh, first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. John is the beginning of the church era. Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that, uh, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. So the church is addressed in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Chapter 4, uh, in a lot of ways, looks a lot like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And here we have, uh, here we have uh, what appears to be the rapture of the church. By the way, chapter 6 is where you get the kicking off of the next, the next part of the timeline. And so you say, why do you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, the, the tribulation begins in chapter 6, verse 1. The rapture takes place in chapter 4, verse 1. How many of you here are tired this evening and, and, and maybe just kind of coming in on, on fumes, mental fumes? How many of you that way tonight? All right, I think all of us can comprehend this. You ready? You listening? The reason why I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture is because 4 comes before 6. Four comes... How many of you are awake enough to understand that four... Okay, four comes before six. And so the next part, let me just go ahead and give you a letter B here, timeline of biblical prophecy, letter B. So we see the rapture of the church, letter B, notice the wrath of the Lamb, the wrath of the Lamb. Some would argue that the rapture doesn't happen uh, at the, before the tribulation, but it does happen before the wrath of... Of God, and they would say, Well, I'm pre wrath, pre wrath. The problem with this argument is that according to Revelation 6, which is the beginning of the tribulation, the wrath of God begins at the beginning of the tribulation. Look at chapter 6 and verse number 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. This kicks off the tribulation. I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard. As it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. All right, so there's the opening of the first seal. Turn over to chapter 6, verse number 12. By the way, while you're turning there, the tribulation is marked by three sets of seven. 
You have seven seals. Uh, the, Jesus takes the title deed to earth. Wax seals have it chaptered in seven spots. And he would open up to that first wax seal and open it. And judgment would fall. And then second seal and judgment would fall. And seven seals. Behind the seven uh, seals you have seven trumpets. And then seven vial or bowl Judgment, seven, seven, and seven, that gets us all the way through uh, the, the, the seven-year tribulation. Look at chapter 6. We're still in this, the, 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 the uh, seal judgments here. Look at verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell upon the earth, even as the fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and that heaven departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the king of the or the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens, and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. Look here, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of the wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? The tribulation era is, is kicked off by Jesus opening up these seven seals out on earth's title deed, judgment and wrath falling, and what is this? This is the wrath of God being poured out on sin, on decades, and re really millennia, of evil that seemingly has been ignored. Uh, judgment day is coming. Uh, uh, we know that God is going to greatly punish, and the wrath of God does not begin at the three-and-a-half-year mark. The wrath of God does not begin at the seven-year mark. The wrath of God begins at the very first year of the tribulation. Now, it does intensify over the next seven years. But the wrath of God, according to chapter 6, verse 16, he, uh, the, even the people are claiming they are underneath the wrath of the Lamb. And so if you believe in a pre-wrath rapture, then that would put you back at being pre-millennial. Okay, so what am I saying here this evening? I'm saying that you have the rapture of the church, the wrath of the Lamb. One more point before we move on here. God is not going to pour out His wrath on an earth where the Holy Spirit of God in the church still resides. He's going to take the church out. There will be no light here on earth. You say, well, won't there be people who get saved during the tribulation? Yes, but they will not be inhabited by the Holy Spirit. The inhabiting of the Holy Spirit is a church age only thing. Understand, people in the Old Testament believed God to send the Messiah. We believe in the Messiah to get to God. But people in the Old Testament were saved, but were not inhabited by the Holy Ghost. People after the rapture of the church will be saved and not inhabited by the Holy Ghost. This is a church era doctrine only that the Holy Ghost comes in and inhabits us. The wrath of God will be poured on the earth once the church has been called away, once the church has been removed. The rapture of the church the wrath of the Lamb, the next uh, on the timeline of biblical pro prophecy is the rescue of the Jews. The rescue of the Jews. Now, for sake of time, uh, we're not going to do this. I encourage you to do it on your own. But if you go back to Deuteronomy 9 and you line that up with the teachings of Jesus, you find something called the abomination of desolation that takes place 
at the halfway mark of the seven-year tribulation. So this is three and a half years in. What has happened is the temple has been uh, rebuilt, and you have uh, the, the uh, Antichrist. He walks into the Jewish temple, and he sits on David's throne, and he uh, performs an abominable act. He claims to be God. And in so doing, the Jews realize that this is not a good man. They realize that this is the Antichrist, and they flee Jerusalem. This is, they, they desolate Jerusalem. This abominable act causes them to desolate and leave, and this is the act labeled by Daniel the prophet and spoken of by Jesus. This is the abomination of desolation. Jesus addresses the Jews directly in Matthew chapter 24. Take your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 24. Jesus talks directly to the Jews about how they are to respond when the abomination of desolation takes place. Understand that from 15 down through verse 31, this is a passage written not to the Gentile church. This is a passage written to Jews who are present during the tribulation. This is written to Jews who are present when the uh, abomination of desolation takes place. Look at verse 15, and we're not going to read every verse for sake of time, uh, but uh, we'll read through several of the verses here. Look at verse 15. Wherefore, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, again, the halfway mark, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea, okay, these are speaking to Jews, let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Skip down with me to verse number 21. You can go back later on your own and read the entire passage. I'm trying to read enough to give you context here. 21, let's read down through verse 26. The Bible says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no nor, every, uh, nor, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that... If it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before, wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. What's going on here? The Jews have left Jerusalem. They've gone into hiding. They're in the mountains. They're in the wilderness. And they're hiding the last three and a half years. By the way, Satan has been kicked out of heaven at the three and a half year mark. And so now you have, you have the Trinity, uh, the false uh, Trinity. You've got Satan who acts as God the Father. You have the Antichrist who acts as God the Son. You have the false prophet who acts as God the Holy Spirit. You have the three of them once Satan comes down from heaven, unified as one, and they pour out their terror. They pour out their wrath on the Jews because the Jews are God's chosen people. The Jews leave Jerusalem. They go into hiding and for three and a half years the false trinity tries to uh, woo them out and convince them out so that they can kill them. This is a time of great persecution 
for the Jews leading up to the battle of Armageddon, which we're going to look at back in Isaiah uh, chapter 34 here in a little bit. Look over at verse number 29. Look down at verse number 29 and let's see where Jesus rescues them. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the signs of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the cloud of heaven with great power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This elect is not speaking of the elect of the church. This elect is speaking of the Jews, uh, how that they're scattered abroad and they're all in hiding. And when Jesus comes back for the battle of Megiddo, the battle uh, of Armageddon, what happens is the Jews are rescued. They're brought back. And the Messiah they rejected in Jesus the first time they uh, came, the Messiah that the Jewish state continues to reject and call uh, uh, not, not the real Christ, the Messiah they claim they're going to be looking for, one day they're going to declare Jesus to be their Messiah and their King when He comes to rescue them. We see that you have the rapture of the church and then the tribulation period, which is the wrath of the Lamb. And then at the end of that, you have the rescue of the Jews in the battle of Megiddo. Notice letter D. Next on the prophetical timeline, you have the reign of King Jesus. The reign of King Jesus. Go with me back to Revelation Chapter number 20. Revelation chapter number 20. And look at verse number 1. Many people have tried to dismiss the millennial reign. I don't know how you pull that off. Especially again if you study major prophets. And minor prophets. And the book of Revelation. Uh, The millennial reign of Christ is all throughout the spoken of in a literal sense. And Jesus Christ will rule and reign. We've talked about that in here plenty on um, Wednesday nights. We're not going to dwell here long. Look at Revelation 20. Look at verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him, look here, a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him uh, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which, uh, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned, look here, with Christ a thousand years. Jesus Christ is going to uh, be king of this earth for a thousand years from Jerusalem. Those who were martyrs during the tribulation will rule and reign with Him. Those who were uh, saintly in the church era will rule and reign with Him. We're going to rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years. So uh, you see here. Now what happens is that at the battle of Megiddo, Satan loses. He's bound. He's thrown into the, the into hell for a thousand years. And the Bible says he's loose for a little season. Now what happens there? This is really interesting. Not everyone in the reign of Christ for that thousand years is going to be on board with Jesus. 
Some people are not going to love Jesus. You see, some people are going to live through the whole tribulation period and not believe in Jesus. They're not going to be part of the army. And uh, they're going to make it through the tribulation and into the millennial reign as unbelievers. They're going to procreate and have babies. And their babies will have babies. And their babies' babies will have babies. And you get down to the thousand years. And there's going to be a sect of people who reject Jesus as being king. Even though he physically sits in Jerusalem. Even though they see him on some newscast. Even though they know who he is. They still reject him as being their Messiah. Satan is loosed after a thousand years. He gathers gathers together the, uh, the people who don't believe in Jesus and he marches them into Jerusalem in order to try to overthrow King Jesus. And that doesn't go so well. God in heaven drops a ball of fire out of the sky and in a moment consumes all of them and they're dead. And then Satan is gathered one last time, bound and thrown into uh, hell for all of eternity, never to be heard from Again, and so that is the reign of King Jesus. Letter E, looking at the prophetic timeline, notice the renewal of heaven and earth. The renewal of heaven and earth. We know that this earth that we're on right now has at least a thousand and seven more years of life in it. Don't let the environmentalists scare you into thinking that we're all going to burn up like tomorrow. Okay, we know we've got at least a thousand and seven years. By the way, let me just say this. Be a good steward of the planet. Amen? Don't litter. Don't throw trash out your window, right? Uh, listen, if you can walk somewhere instead of drive, walk, okay? I know I sound like an environmentalist right now. I'm not an environmentalist, okay? If you can take a bicycle, it's healthy for you, right? As Americans, we need the weight loss uh, exercise, right? Uh, if you have to drive, drive, amen? It's all good. Uh, listen, don't go kill an animal just for the fun of it. If you need to feed your family, that's one thing. But don't just go kill an animal. That's cruel. All right? Be kind to God's creation. Be good stewards of what God's given us. But also don't believe the lie that the world's going to burn up, you know, in you know, the next tomorrow or next month or something. That's According to Scripture, we've got at least 1,007 years left. But the earth is going to burn up with a fervent heat. And God is going to replace the current heaven and earth, with the heaven and earth that has never been tainted by sin. Did you know that the heaven that Jesus lives in now has been tainted by sin? That's where Lucifer fell and, when, and his angels were thrown out. Did, now, it's a perfect place in that sin doesn't exist there anymore, but at one point sin was in heaven. And sin has, uh, is here on earth. And one day God's going to destroy the heaven and earth and a new heaven and a new earth will descend, which we know very, very, very little about. Look at chapter 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. I love verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. You say, Pastor, how do you know there's going to be no marriage in heaven? There will be no sorrow, no more pain. The former things are passed away. Amen? 
God's going to give us a new heaven and a new earth. And we're only told about one city on the new earth. We're given no details of the new heaven. We're given no details of the rest of earth. We're just told about the new Jerusalem. And it is amazing. It is awesome. And uh, we're going to live with Jesus forever. And will there be time? Yeah, there will be time, but we won't care about it. We won't care about it because we'll live with him forever. Now, um, it's, time, it's time to stop. We're going to look at point two next week. We're going to get into Isaiah 34, verse by verse next week. And we're going to talk specifically about God's judgment on sin in that battle of Armageddon. Uh, you, some of you in here disagree with my biblical timeline. I know you do. Those of you in here that disagree with me, you've already told me you disagree with me. You don't have to come up after church and remind me that you don't agree with me. Amen? Okay, I know that's all good, all right? We can be gracious with each other. Uh, if you really feel the need to do that, you can. But can we all agree on this? God hates evil, and God will punish evil. And you and I need to get busy telling everyone we can about Jesus because the day is coming where they won't have a chance to repent. We need to make it clear to them now that it's time to repent before it's eternally too late. Well, let's stand together if we can, and uh, let's pray. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be sent forth to show the world a bright light. Go forth and care for your neighbor this week. Let them know that uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, thank you tonight for what we have seen and heard from Scripture. Help us, God, to take the truths uh, that we have seen and put them into practice. Lord, help us to be reminded that you are a God who is a consuming fire, you are a God who hates sin. You are a God who will one day punish evil with hellfire. And we must be busy about the work. We must be busy teaching and persuading. We must be busy winning as many souls to salvation as we can. I've heard it said that Christians are not called to soul win, but soul warn. And Lord, while we are called to warn, we're also called to persuade. And may we do our best to persuade as many people Lord, may we do so with a sense of urgency. May we do so, if necessary, by dangling over them over the flames of hell. But Lord, may we also do so with a tear of compassion in our eye. Help us to believe that you're coming. Help us to believe that that judgment day is certain. And help us to share the gospel with anyone and everyone who will give us the near. Be with us tonight, Lord. Uh, bring us back together, uh, those who will go out Saturday, as we seek to proclaim the good news. And then Sunday for church, help us, each of us to be in our place. In Jesus' name.